As we start today, one of the questions that um, was asked in our staff guys study several weeks ago, actually when we were doing Daniel 2, was do dreams still happen today? And does God use dreams in a way that um, we see him using dreams in Daniel 7, we saw in Daniel uh, 2, and then again in Daniel 4? And so, uh, you know, it was a question that we talked about in the staff guys study, but we didn't really reach any conclusions. And so uh, one of the guys who was in that study uh, came and told me a little story uh, um, last week, and he said, you're not going to believe what happened to me. He said, uh, you know, after we talked about that, three or four days later, I had a dream that I remembered. And uh, when I woke up, you know, usually I totally forget all my dreams. Uh, but this dream he remembered because it was a dream about a guy that he'd known in college, a guy that he considered a friend, a guy who was a believer in Christ. And in this dream, um, our staff member was walking down the hall to his hospital room. And in this hospital room, he walks in and the guy is all hooked up with uh, IVs and everything, and he's dying. And so obviously this is uh, the sort of thing that uh, probably captures your attention. And um, what was most amazing about the dream was that he was dying from pornography. You know, I haven't heard of porn killing people. Um, it's killed marriages, and it's killed... Uh, effective witnesses for Christ, but uh, this may be the first time that it, uh, you know, this guy was dying of pornography. And so our friend was uh, a little bit rattled by this, and so for the next couple of days he put off any idea of actually calling his buddy to say, hey, you're not going to believe, I know we hadn't talked in a while, but uh, I had this dream about you. But finally... Uh, the Spirit worked on him to the point that he said, okay, I'll call. And so he picks up the phone and he calls his buddy. And as you can imagine, uh, the conversation is just a little awkward. Um, and he said his buddy really focused in on the fact that he was dying. And I guess that would catch your attention. And he, you know, kind of brushed off the porn bit. He said, oh, you know, hey, I'm a guy. You know, we all struggle with that. I mean, you know, it's hard to live in society today without uh, coming in contact with things that we probably are not well off looking at. And so he just brushed it off. And, you know, that was kind of the end of the story. And then about a week later, the guy calls uh, our staff uh, friend back. And he says, you know, there really was more to that story than uh, I let on. <clears throat> and after your call, um, it bothered me to the point that, you know, I'm in accountability with a guy, and I shared it with my accountability partner. And uh, my accountability partner said, you know, really, this is a divine message to you. And uh, the guy said, you know, you're really right. Because I had gone from a point of thinking, hey, I've got this under control to a point of just despair of saying, I can't control this. And so this call um, prompted this guy to take another look at what was going on in his life and to reassess how he could start once again to fight the battle against pornography in his life. 
And so does God still use dreams? Well, he's sovereign. Uh, Daniel certainly teaches us that. And he can use those things in our lives if we'll be faithful to share it. Think about our staff buddy. That's a pretty awkward call to have to make. But at the same time, it's a, uh, a great opportunity to be used of the Lord in a way that makes a difference in somebody's life. And that's what Daniel is all about, calling us to align ourselves with the sovereignty of God and to be used in a mighty way in other people's lives and in our own. Dr. Walbert, a great DTS professor and president, calls this chapter, Daniel 7, the key to the entire program of God from Babylon all the way to the second coming of Christ. How's that for one chapter of the Bible? That, uh, that says a lot. Let me start us with a word of prayer and we'll get rolling. Father, thanks for the privilege of coming together as a group of guys to study your word and to be Daniels in our society today. To be men who are willing to line up with your sovereignty, Father, to acknowledge that you're God and we are not. And so, Father, may we be bold. Bold as lions, uh, Proverbs 28 uh, tells us. May we be the kind of men who are willing to speak truth into hard situations, the kind of men who are willing in our own lives to allow you to be sovereign over our lives instead of ourselves. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Let's put that uh, first slide up there. You know, one of the things to understand in the book of Daniel is to understand that sometimes the Old Testament prophets are taking a look at the prophetic landscape and the picture is all crammed together. So here I am with my son and a buddy. And uh, it kind of looks like we're actually on uh, some uh, peaks in the Grand Tetons. And um, it looks like we're just kind of sitting right there on the um, uh, uh, ledge there uh, on this big peak that we see looming up there under the uh, word perception, doesn't it? Looks like it's all just one big peak. Okay, we're actually on a peak called Disappointment Peak. And it was named Disappointment Peak because the guys who first climbed it thought that they were actually going to be summiting on the Grand Teton for the first time. And so here's the picture. And you see uh, the peak that's kind of under the R and the dash? Well, that's where we were sitting. Okay? And so you can see then off to the far top right, that's the Grand Teton. Look at that gap. Okay? So the prophet's of the Old Testament sometimes, they saw a foreshortened picture where everything kind of looked like it was jammed together, but there's actually a gap. And that's important as we look at uh, the kingdoms that we have to deal with today. Okay? So, you know, so what about Daniel 7? What's the difference that this chapter can make in the way that I live my life today? Asking it another way, how can I live today in light of eternity, in light of being part of an everlasting kingdom. Daniel, at the end of Daniel 7, says it in another way. He says this, you know, this vision had obviously made a big impact on him. It caused him to be alarmed and says that his color changed. And then he says something that I think is key to understanding the chapter. He says, but I kept the matter in my heart. 
a key to applying the truths of this chapter. And I think that it's something that he kept in his heart. And it gave him the courage, it gave him the boldness to be the kind of guy that we see in uh, Daniel 5 and in Daniel 6. He kept it in his heart. Now, you know, on one level that just means he may not have told anybody else. But I think it was a motivating factor in the way that Daniel lived his life from then on. Okay? And that's what I'm calling you guys to uh, use this chapter 4 in your lives today. And you know, whether it's a prophecy of the future, or walking with Christ uh, while He's here on earth, or today, the battleground is our hearts. You know, Christ made that clear when He was here. In Matthew 6.21, He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in Matthew 12.34, He says, For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Guys, The battleground today, just like in Daniel's day, is the heart. Okay, so you know, uh, as I've been up here speaking, I've used the same kind of uh, format each time. And, you know, we'll first do an outline, and then we'll look at some issues, and then we'll look at some applications, and finally uh, we'll close with a question. And I want to say, hey, you know, I'm not just doing that because... Uh, that's the way this chapter happens to flow, but you know that's the way I approach studying the Word. If you will outline uh, each chapter, just whether it's in your mind or on a piece of paper, that helps you grasp what's going on in the chapter, and hopefully it will help it be memorable to you. And if you'll uh, take time to look at the issues in each chapter, that'll help you get on top of what the questions are in the chapter. And then the applications, obviously we need to do that. And then finally, I love to close with a question to ask myself, to challenge myself, and by extension to challenge you guys to be the kind of man that this book is calling us to be. Okay, so let's start with uh, an outline of chapter 7. Okay, so we start off and we've got four beasts, and they're identified in verses 1 through 8. And... uh, It's important to understand in the chapter that where are we in the chapter, okay? Where are we? Uh, Are we in heaven? Are we in earth? Okay, and so the four beasts are identified, and that's part of things on the earth. And then the final beast is judged in verses 9 through 12. So we're up in heaven. In fact, the format changes in the ESV at least. I don't know about your Bible, but it changes from prose to a a poetical sort of format to let you know, hey, something different is happening here. Then in verses 13 and 14, we see the final kingdom is seen. In verses 15 through 18, the four beasts and the final kingdom are interpreted. And so here's a a vision that's given, and then Daniel uh, turns and asks one who is there, is is the way that it's described, it's likely an angel. In fact, in uh, uh, chapters 8 and 9, I think... uh, yeah, 8 and 9, it describes uh, Daniel as having a conversation with the angel Gabriel. Okay, and so th- this angel gives Daniel the interpretation that we see in the chapter. And that's begun in chapters, uh, in verses 15 through 18, where there's a summary. And then uh, in verses 19 through 26, we have the fourth beast, which is really the focus of the chapter. The fourth beast is explained, and he's judged. And then in verse 27, we have the final kingdom. 
in verse 28, the final word. And I love that final word. Daniel seems to use the final verse of his chapters as uh, almost an epitaph. But I kept the matter in my heart, is what the uh, text says. And that's where the issue is. What are you going to do with this vision that God uh, has given Daniel? How are you going to be men who live in light of eternity? Okay, so let's take a look at some issues. Context. Okay, context is always key. And right off, we see Daniel um, puts this vision right in the context of uh, history. And he explains in uh, verse 1 that um, we're in the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. And if you remember back in uh, um, chapter 5, we were in the last year, the last day, literally, of Belshazzar's reign. So the context of this is that um, Daniel 7 and Daniel 8 actually occur historically before Daniel 4 and Daniel 5. Okay, so that's important to understand. And, uh, um, you know, I think one of the reasons that Daniel may have done that, he's divided the book into six hero stories right up front. And what does that tell us? It tells us that Daniel and his colleagues are men who can be trusted, men who have correctly lined up with the sovereignty of God. And then we conclude with four visions. And so we already know that Daniel is a man who can be trusted, and so we can trust him uh, as he faithfully relates these visions in the last six chapters uh, of the book of Daniel. And something else that's key to helping you understand this, remember the vision that uh, Nebuchadnezzar got in Daniel 2? That vision is also helpful in interpreting uh, the vision that Daniel himself had in uh, Daniel 7. Okay, so... The interpretation of Daniel 2 and the interpretation of Daniel 7, as uh, we look at first the statue that had four different parts versus four beasts, those things line up in the same sort of way, and so the interpretation of 2 will help you with chapter 7. And so the four beasts coming out of the sea are pictures of four kings or four great kingdoms on earth. And you remember the first kingdom was the lion with the uh, eagle wings? And scholars think that this is a picture of Babylon, and historically it fits. In fact, outside the royal palaces in Babylon, you typically saw lions guarding the gates. Statues of lions with wings guarding the gates. So this is something that obviously Daniel knew. He had seen that. The second beast... uh, is a bear with one side raised up. What does that mean? Well, the bear likely indicates uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, the ferocity of that particular empire. And the raised up side indicates that the Persian side of that alliance between the Medes and the Persians was the dominant side. The third kingdom is a leopard with four wings and four heads. And it fits uh, uh, nicely with Greece under Alexander. Uh, Alexander was known for the swiftness of his conquests. And by the time he was 32 years old, he had conquered most of the civilized world in a way that would be reminiscent in modern days of the the, uh, Nazi Blitzkrieg. The speed with which he conquered it. That's the key idea to the leopard. Anybody that's hunted leopards know that those are fast animals. 
Okay, and at his death, his death was unexpected. And uh, at his death, after a period of time, uh, his kingdom was divided among four generals, four successors, and divided into four parts, a leopard with four wings and four heads. And finally, the fourth kingdom, and the key word for the fourth kingdom is different. Okay? Because it's different in length. It lasts a lot, lot longer than any of the other kingdoms. It's different in strength. It's different in cruelty. Um, it's represented by uh, something that's not even like any animal that's uh, been on earth, but it has great iron teeth. And it's a kingdom that lasts literally almost uh, uh, up until uh, the 15th century. 1453, I guess, is in the 15th century. And uh, it's something that um, is different from any of the other kingdoms that have come before. And it's this fourth beast that Daniel really focuses on, that his vision focuses on, because I think there is a near fulfillment here. Remember those peaks that look like they're right next to each other? There's a near fulfillment that's historically done in Rome, but there's also a future fulfillment that will be the time of the little horn. And Commentators think that the little horn represents the Antichrist of the end times. And so there uh, will likely be a revival of the Roman Empire. We see kind of uh, how that could come about today from the uh, European Economic Union. Um, That obviously has more than ten kingdoms, but who knows what will happen in the future. And uh, the the ten horns represent ten kingdoms or ten kings. Uh, but there's a little horn that's greater than all of them. And if you're uh, interested in that, you know, Daniel is really the key to helping you understand the book of Revelation. And you can read more about that little horn in Revelation 13. So there we have four different kings or four different kingdoms represented by four beasts with characteristics that match up perfectly with uh, what has happened in history. And the fourth beast is one that has both a near fulfillment in Rome and a future fulfillment in the uh, kingdom of the Antichrist. But you know, the important kingdom really is the final kingdom. Okay, and if you're keeping score with me at home, that's the kingdom that you want to be a part of. That's the everlasting kingdom that's brought and given to the Son of Man. You know, that's a title that was used of Christ that he loved to use of himself more than 80 times in the gospel. Jesus either called or he calls himself the Son of Man. Comes right out of Daniel 7. And so the transition to our applications is, so what? What difference does this vision of history and the future make in our daily lives today? Well, I want to offer four things to you. Next slide. Okay, so the first thing you got to do is line up with God's sovereignty. You've got to understand who God is and who you are. Who am I? Well, the Ancient of Days in uh, Daniel 7 uh, is a picture of uh, the Father. And He is one for whom heaven is His throne and earth is His footstool. And what's man? Psalm 144 tells us that man's a breath. He's, uh, his days are like a passing shadow. Chuck Colson said it well when he said that grasping the enormity of God's sovereignty fundamentally alters how we see our own existence. 
And so God is sovereign, guys, and we are called to get in line with his sovereignty. That's the exhortation of this book. The second point is that one that Kyle Kegler made one time when I was going to share with Summit the book of Revelation. Uh, now, that's a challenge to do that in 15 minutes, but Kegler said, give them this message. Tell them to get their butts ready. You know, that's the message of Daniel 7 as well, that we are to live in light of eternity. We are to get our butts ready for the fact that, hey, there is a coming kingdom, and are we going to be a part of that kingdom? So, it's an admonition to get ready, but it's also a source of great comfort. As we were talking yesterday in our staff guys study, one of the guys said, you know, that verse is also, or this chapter really is also a chapter of comfort because it tells us that, hey, if we are part of that final kingdom, that everything is going to be all right. If you've trusted in Christ, you can bank on the fact that He is coming back. And you can bet your life on that uh, fact. The third application is be faithful in the little things. And that's what Daniel did. He was faithful in the little things. He was faithful to live in community. We've seen that played out already. He was faithful to uh, be persistent in prayer. And he was faithful to know his scriptures. And we'll see that in uh, chapter 9. It talks about how he read um, the book of uh, Jeremiah as comfort and encouragement. He knew his scriptures. He lived in community, and he was persistent in prayer. So how can we get ready for the big things, the fourth point? We can do that daily by being faithful in the little things. But we've got to be ready for the big tests when they come. Daniel was a guy that was ready. Okay, so two weeks ago we talked about Persians at the gate. Okay? And last week we talked about who, what are the lions in your life? I don't know about your group, but our group had a great time talking about what are the lions in our life and how do we get ready to handle those lions. And so today we ramp it up a notch. We're talking about eternity and how we can live in the light of eternity. When it's eternity knocking at your door, what are you going to do? And so I want to close with one question. Am I being faithful today to live in the light of eternity? And you may be sitting there saying, okay, well, that's a great thought, but you know, what practically does that matter in the way that I live my life today? What does that mean? Well, it's really a simple question. Who's controlling your life? Are you in charge? And if you're in charge, how's that working out for you? I don't know about you, but every time Bob's in charge, it doesn't work out very well for myself, for my wife, for my children. You know, it just doesn't work very well. It may work okay for a time, but long term, when Bob's in charge, things go haywire. Okay? Who is controlling your life? Are you in charge? Are you letting the God who is sovereign, the one who controls history, be in charge of your own life? Are you willing to give up the control of your life to listen to Him? You know, one of the most enduring lessons from this book are the reminders that, hey, there is a God. He is sovereign. He will prevail. His kingdom's everlasting. And our eternal destiny is determined 
by what our response to him is right now. You may have seen these sitting up here. As I say, um, I love golf. You know, I've played it for a long time since I was about 10. Love everything about it. These are some clubs that were actually built in the 1920s. Um, You can play golf with these still. And... um, But there has been a time in my life when golf really controlled way too much of my life. When I would uh, rather be on the golf course playing tournaments and whatnot uh, than doing what I needed to do uh, at home. And so the question and what these clubs are a reminder of is, am I valuing what's eternal in my life or am I valuing the temporal? I still love to play golf, but you know, golf has lost its priority in my life. Now, some days on the golf course, uh, Rudy or other guys can tell you I don't act like that. I act like uh, the world's going to end if I don't make par on this hole. Okay, but it's just a game. And as much fun as the Masters is, that's just a tournament. And it doesn't have eternal significance, even as beautiful as these clubs are. Ultimately, they're things of this earth. And so Daniel said that he kept the matter in his heart, and I think that's what enabled him to be the man that he was in Daniel uh, 5 and 6. And so let me close with this question. What are you keeping in your heart? Are you valuing the things that are eternal? Are you lining up your life with a God who's sovereign? What's motivating the way that you live your daily life? Are you being faithful today to live in light light of eternity? That's what Christ calls us to do. That's the hope that He gives us. He says, hey guys, I've won this game. This game's over. And so now you have a chance, already knowing the outcome, to get on the winning side. That's what He's calling us to do. And then to be men who are bold to live courageously, to proclaim His truth, to tell others about Him. That's how we live in light of eternity. That's what He's calling us to do. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father, thanks for this time. And thanks for the fact that You are sovereign, that Your Son is coming back. Thanks for that assurance and comfort. And thanks for the uh, opportunity to know Him and to make knowing Him such a priority in our lives that it changes the way that we uh, lead ourselves and we lead our families and we lead in the workplace. Father, build leaders here among these guys at Summit who make a difference in our community. In your Son's name, Amen.